the History Channel original podcast. The World's Fair, Chicago, 1893. A magnificent exposition covering 700 acres and featuring exhibitions from nearly 50 countries. One visitor to the fair is a 35-year-old from Pennsylvania with a mustache and an expensive suit. His name is Milton Hershey. He can afford that expensive suit because he owns a very profitable caramel-making business. He was a very successful businessman at the time that he visited Chicago to the World's Exposition. Joel Glenn Brenner is the author of Emperors of Chocolate, Inside the Secret World of Hershey and Mars. And he had already traveled around the world. He'd already been to places like Egypt and, and to Europe. And he had been indulging himself in his own sort of curiosities. Hershey finds himself drawn to a food tent at the fair. When he gets to the Columbia World's Exposition, what attracted him to the chocolate-making equipment was that smell, right? You guys can all recall that smell of brownies in the oven and that amazing odor that will waft through your house. So that odor was wafting through the food tent, and Milton went to find where this was coming from. Hershey samples the exotic product, and what he experiences goes well beyond his expectations. He didn't know anything about cocoa beans. He didn't know anything about chocolate. He'd never tasted it before. And he was so blown away by the flavor that he got. It wasn't particularly sweetened, but it had a mouth feel that no other food product had. Milton Hershey knows he's found something special. And so Milton said, I think that this is the next great thing. I'm Sean Braswell. On this episode of The Food That Built America, a podcast from the History Channel and Ozzy, Milton Hershey and a product that would become America's ultimate treat. From the chocolate bunnies and Easter baskets to the candy bars and Halloween trick-or-treat bags. It's hard to imagine Valentine's Day without giving your sweetheart a Hershey's kiss, Christmas without a stocking full of chocolate Santas, or a campfire without chocolate, marshmallow, and graham cracker s'mores. Today, Hershey's milk chocolate is an American staple. The chocolate empire that Hershey created is now worth nearly $30 billion. And the Mars family, who were both Hershey's competitors and his customers, embellished his creation to develop some of the world's favorite chocolates. Their brand is worth $20 billion today. Milton Hershey was born in 1857 in Derry Township, Pennsylvania. Milton Hershey is an American phenomenon. Libby O'Connell is a cultural historian and the author of The American Plate. He started as a little boy in a rural farming area of Pennsylvania in a Mennonite family. He was raised speaking Pennsylvania Dutch. The Mennonites had come to Pennsylvania in search of religious freedom and were known as hard workers. They're pacifists. They're similar to the Amish, but less strict. Hershey's father, Henry, was a farmer who had failed in a number of businesses. Early on, his mother, Fanny, encouraged Milton to pursue something else, candy making. She was pragmatic. She wanted her son to go into a business where he could be profitable, where he would succeed. At just 14, young Milton became an apprentice to a local confectioner. He learned his craft well, and at the age of 25, he launched what would become his first hit candy business. And his success was not with chocolate. His initial success was with caramels. Hershey discovered that the secret to making high-quality caramels was fresh milk. 
and his business took off. He was already a millionaire when he walked into the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. And it was there that he saw a machine, this great engine that was developed for creating chocolates. And he thought, that's my future. Heather Paterno is the author of H's for Hershey. And the last day that he's in Chicago, he buys the entire display. That's right. Hershey purchased the actual equipment he saw on display at the World's Fair exhibit and shipped it back to Pennsylvania. There, he started making big plans for another milk-based treat. He's also purchased his homestead farm back in Dairy Church, Pennsylvania, which is what we now know as Hershey. And this is about 120 acres, and he buys his family home and the adjacent uh, buildings and structures. He decides to ship the chocolate-making equipment back to the homestead. And there in the rolling hills of rural Pennsylvania, Milton Hershey embarked on a double challenge, not just to make the chocolate he had sampled at the World's Fair, but to enhance it. Swiss chocolate makers like Nestle had been making milk chocolates for years, but it was largely an expensive luxury consumed by the European elite. Hershey was confident he could perfect a milk chocolate that would be more affordable and appealing to everyday Americans. But his search for the right recipe did not go as smoothly as he'd hoped. So you have this water-based product, which is milk, and you have this uh, cocoa product, which is oil-based, and obviously oil and milk don't always mix together. Hershey tried over and over again to get the right mixture. He experimented with different types of milk, even different breeds of cows. He built his factory near where he grew up in um, Pennsylvania, surrounded by dairy farms because he wants to have access to very wholesome fresh milk every day. And in fact, his factory consumes thousands of gallons that come in from the dairies. So the idea of getting these two ingredients which seemed perfect together to actually blend was enormously uh, complicated. The breakthrough came when Hershey discovered that the milk needed to evaporate more slowly. The problem, or the difference, is that Milton Hershey's method ultimately resulted in the milk going sour. But the sour milk worked. Hershey's milk chocolate was not as rich as the European variety, but it was sweet, creamy, delicious, and distinct. He didn't realize at the time that his chocolate didn't taste like European chocolate. He just knew he had a formula that worked, and it was the first in the U.S. It was a flavor that would one day be worth billions. Americans, well, ate it up. They love that flavor. Americans identify that flavor as milk chocolate, and so they don't ever want to change it. And if you ask them, well, is the milk that you're using sour? They kind of write it off and they'll say something like, you know, well, you know, it has special properties. <laughs> but the truth is, um, that's the kind of chocolate that he developed and that's the kind of chocolate that Americans grew up eating. We didn't know any better. And so that signature Hershey flavor uh, remains today. Finally, Milton Hershey had hit upon the right recipe and ingredients for his groundbreaking chocolate. But it was still an unproven commodity at the time. Convincing the American public to embrace this European treat would require an even bolder approach. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When he started to pursue his milk chocolate dreams, Milton Hershey gathered a small group of trusted colleagues to build his new company. His key group of people were all just honestly earnest hard workers. None of them had any advanced degrees. Heather Paterno. His lawyer was John Snyder, who sort of took the Abraham Lincoln way of getting his law degree. He graduated from high school, was an excellent student, but never got any formal education, just studied for the bar and took it. It wasn't until well into the, the first couple of years into the Hershey company that he actually brought on people that had actually chemical degrees or chemistry degrees or any, anything, any sort of advanced degree. But perhaps his best hire was a young salesman named William Murray. He was much younger than Milton Hershey was, but he had um, some of the things that maybe Milton Hershey didn't. He was dashing, he was handsome. He uh, had a real salesman's way of charming people and talking people into trying things. Murray is another person who has no formal education and he's a very magnanimous individual and apparently uh, quite a good salesman because within the first month or two that he's hired, he basically outsells uh, the supply and he could sort of fill the void um, in the salesmanship um, that Milton Hershey didn't have. Hershey was so impressed he also put William Murray in charge of day-to-day -day operations at the factory. They were tremendous partners. Um, they actually had a setup of a desk where one sat at one side, the other sat at the other side, they faced each other, and they talked. And so for Milton Hershey, it allowed him to do the kinds of things that he loved most, which was um, continuing to invent and experiment. Milton Hershey now had a great product and a great team. In November 1900, he introduced the nation to the Hershey's Milk Chocolate Bar, Libby O'Connell. It was a sweet, milky chocolate bar that won the hearts of most Americans. But not the European chocolate makers who had inspired Hershey. Salati Meyer is a culinary historian and reporter at Fast Company. When Hershey chocolate first came out, the Europeans, the Swiss, thought it was the worst thing ever. It was an affront to them and their centuries-old chocolate-making traditions. It was very, very gauche. They thought it was too sweet. And even today, people from Europe tend to think of Hershey's as garbage chocolate. We Americans who grew up on it love it. Hershey's milk chocolate was sweeter than the chocolate Europeans were used to. For American consumers, that wasn't a bad thing. The feeling of eating a Hershey bar is a little bit of delight. It's a little pick-me-up in the middle of the day. It gives you a little burst of sugar, a little burst of energy, a little burst of sweetness. Hershey and Murray advertised their product with a simple, direct slogan, America's greatest chocolate bar. He really didn't do a whole lot of advertising. He honestly thought that the product would speak for itself, and in his case, it did. And not only was it delicious, it only cost a nickel. Finding a way to make milk chocolate accessible to the masses at a decent price and making it shelf stable, meaning it wouldn't melt, was something that Milton Hershey really pioneered. His goals were to create chocolate that was affordable by the common man. Up until that time, chocolates were very elegant, they were elite, they were a special treat. And what Milton Hershey did is revolutionize the affordability of chocolate. In 1907, Hershey also pioneered a new product. 
He thought his customers might like to carry these treats without having them melt all over their hands. He started selling these chocolate drops that were foiled wrapped and had a little piece of paper coming out that said kisses on it. And apparently the reason why they're called kisses is because the sound of the chocolate hitting the paper in the factory would go and they decided it sounded like kisses and that's how it became known. The Hershey's Kiss was a big hit, but Milton Hershey wasn't alone among America's innovative chocolatiers. His success in the early years of the 20th century spurred a new Midwestern rival, a candy maker from Minnesota. There's someone else in, in the business as well, and his name was Frank Mars, Franklin Mars. He comes up with a chocolate bar that will really take the country by storm, and today in the top five chocolate bars, three of the top five chocolate bars consumed in the world come from Frank Mars. Franklin C. Mars was born in Hancock, Minnesota in 1883. And he was very sickly as a boy. Um, he was struck um, with a lot of different illnesses. Joel Glenn Brenner. He didn't, you know, play games like other boys. He didn't go outdoors a lot. He was quite a sickly child. And so his favorite thing to do was to be in the kitchen and watch his mother cook. He watched her make pancakes and cakes and muffins and scones and, and he himself started doing experiments with candy. And he decided that he wanted um, to be a candy maker as when he grew up. Mars's first candy factory failed in Tacoma, Washington. He started several times uh, with different kinds of confections in different places and he failed. Frank's wife found this very difficult um, all of these failures really took a toll on their marriage. And when Frank still hadn't made a success, um, she decided that she had to leave him with their son, Forrest, um, and she divorced Frank Mars, and they, the two of them never spoke again. With his last $400, Frank started a new candy business in 1920, one that finally started to do well. Meanwhile, young Forrest Mars grew up without a father. Forrest Mars knew nothing of his father, his father's success. Uh, he knew absolutely nothing about who his dad was. And, you know, he never heard very much that was positive uh, about him, if he heard anything at all. In college, Forrest Mars had a job advertising cigarettes, but he got arrested for plastering up posters all over Chicago. So he reached out to his dad, who came from Minneapolis to Chicago, and got him out of jail. Reunited after years apart, the two men went to a diner together. And the story goes... They were drinking um, malted milkshakes, and he says to his father, Boy, it sure would be great if you could put this into a candy bar. Libby O'Connell. At the same time that... Frank Mars is worrying about what type of candy bar he should be creating. You have a rise in, in soda fountains in local drugstores. And people go and they get their malted milkshakes and different beverages. But that malted milk, the chocolate malted milk, becomes really, really popular. Forrest Mars' observation about a malted milkshake candy bar lit up his father's imagination. You never know where that moment of inspiration is going to strike. Adam Richman is a television host and author of Straight Up Tasty. It's being open to those moments of serendipitous inspiration. 
So what if he weren't drinking a malt? And what if his son didn't have business acumen from having gone to Berkeley and to Yale? And what if his son weren't advertising for Camel or didn't get arrested for putting up too many Camel ads in Chicago? And when Frank Mars returned to Minneapolis to his candy company, he started a new round of experiments. And he invented a new candy bar, one which took the flavor of the malted milk and made it into a chocolate bar. It's called the Milky Way, and it's a big hit. With his son Forrest's help, Frank Mars launched the Milky Way in 1923. Like Hershey's milk chocolate bar, it sold for a nickel. The Milky Way bar was a local sensation. But for Frank Mars to expand beyond regional success, he needed more of his main ingredient, chocolate. And there was just one place to go. When Frank Mars begins his company, there is only one real master of the universe when it comes to chocolate bars in the United States, and that would be Milton Hershey. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Milton Hershey's rise to becoming the nation's leading chocolate producer was driven largely by his breakthroughs in taste, packaging, and marketing. But he was an innovator on another front as well, factory production and the treatment of workers. Bryant Simon is a history professor at Temple University and author of Everything But the Coffee. Remember, you have massive industrial growth without any regulation. You know. Everywhere, people are dying to make the products that people need, and the food industry is no exception in this. Yahuru Williams is a historian at the University of St. Thomas. Factories were unsafe, unsanitary fire traps for most of the period that we associate with the Gilded Age. Milton Hershey decided to embark on a different model of factory production, one more friendly to workers. When he first sold his caramel business as a young man for about a million dollars, he wanted to create a community around his chocolate factory, Joel Glenn Brenner. And so he went and invested his million dollars into building this utopian town where the workers who would support his factory would have their own housing paid for, would have a town with all the best uh, that you know, that, that a community could offer, swimming pools and theaters and all kinds of community activities. The town of Hershey grew up alongside the candy. The factory employed around 600 men at first, and the town provided houses for all of their families that included backyards, front yards, and porches. This idea that he had for 
a perfect place where everyone who worked for his factory could live and everyone, you know, would have things taken care of for them, like, you know, they're, they're, they'd have plumbing and, and electricity and all these modern conveniences that workers of the day couldn't even dream of. It wasn't about him getting rich off of the backs of other people. It was give these people something to work for. Heather Paterno. Create a, a happy, you know, communal life for them and they'll give back and they'll be hard workers for you. What's the point in having a lot of money if you can't do something good with it? Frank Myers approached Hershey and asked for a modest credit on a steady supply of milk chocolate for his newly developed candy bar. Milky Way was still only a regional hit, so Milton Hershey wasn't concerned about supplying one of its key ingredients. This cooperation allowed Mars to go national. Milky Way sales skyrocketed to $800,000, equivalent to about $12 million today. Hershey benefited from the agreement too. And Mars was Hershey's biggest single customer. Um, that really uh, is something that kept the Hershey factory going in the day and you know allowed Frank Mars to make these amazing candy bars that he made. It kept the Hershey factory going even into the Great Depression. Yahuru Williams. When the Great Depression begins, Milton Hershey is somewhat of an anomaly because he does not cut wages, because he takes steps to ensure that the workers in his uh, factory town actually are going to still be able to enjoy a relatively um, high degree of living, which other workers certainly aren't experiencing. Hershey was really able to escape that sort of negative in impact um, in large part because fortunately chocolate, uh, the consumption of chocolate actually wasn't really affected. But as the depression wore on, Hershey did cut hours for factory workers. He also stopped paying annual bonuses. And as he continues to take measures to increase profits and cut costs, his laborers become suspicious and then angry about what they see as the greed of Hershey uh, in terms of not addressing these critical needs of his factory workers. And Hershey workers went on a six-day sit-down strike in 1937. Other Hershey employees and local dairy farmers forced the strikers out of the factory. The protest ended in violence. Hershey fails to appreciate that workers are genuinely upset and concerned about what the Great Depression is going to mean for them. That this just isn't a question of the survival of the factory. For them, it's a question of their lives and their livelihoods. Two years after the chocolate factory strike, Hershey became one of the first American candy companies to unionize, which gave employees an increase in overtime rates and paid vacations. Milton Hershey was devastated by the strike and felt betrayed by his workers. Times had changed and uh, the benevolent, uh, patriarchal magnet at the top of the hill, you know, couldn't run everything. Meanwhile, Frank Mars and his son Forrest were trying to climb their own hill. They followed the success of the Milky Way with two more candy bars that would become classics. You can practically taste the beloved candy bars just by mentioning their names. The Three Musketeers Bar, a fluffy whipped mousse covered in chocolate, and the Snickers Bar, nougat topped with caramel and peanuts covered in chocolate. Libby O'Connell. Frank, the dad, has a favorite horse named Snickers, and they named their third chocolate bar Snickers after their horse. 
Today, more than 400 million Snickers bars are sold every year. The success of the new candy bars made Forrest want to expand. And he started badgering his dad quite a bit, and he really wanted his father to have an enormous vision that he had to build an empire. And his father was very contented. His father had a successful business. Finally, Frank gave Forrest $50,000 and told him, You take that money, go abroad with it, you have this global vision, I don't. You go start your own company overseas. Forrest goes off to Britain. He invents the Mars bar, which is essentially the malted milk with the almonds on top. And it didn't take very long before um, he had factories and operations throughout Europe, and he was extraordinarily successful. But while Forrest was in Europe, Frank Mars died unexpectedly. His dad was very young, he was only 50 years old, and he collapsed on the factory floor. By the time Forrest got word of his father's passing, the funeral had already taken place. It was just um, a, an unexpected tragedy that I do think affected him very deeply and changed his nature to a degree, made him perhaps even um, more ambitious, gave him more drive, um, made him want to prove himself all the more because his dad was no longer around to see that he was right. Forrest Mars returned to the U.S. and took over the family business. And at the start of World War II, he embarked on a new, innovative candy product based on a bold idea. And this was an idea that he had seen in Spain. During uh, the Great Spanish War, he'd been visiting the country and he saw that Spanish soldiers were carrying around these little candy-coated pellets of chocolate. And he was fascinated. He'd never seen a candy coating on top of chocolate before. He brought this idea to William Murray, who still ran the Hershey factory. Murray was intrigued. But he had one stipulation. And that stipulation was that Forrest take on a partner. That partner was his son. Well, Forrest Mars understands uh, relationships, families, business, and he says, okay, I'll do it. The reason we know this candy as M&Ms is because of the last names of the two partners. M&M stands for Mars and Murie. Adam Richman. And that's the thing that's so incredible to me when you stop and you go, wait a minute, okay, so M and M actually were people. It was, you know, Murray and it was Mars and it was the people who kind of came together and created this idea. And that idea would become a joint endeavor between Mars and Yurhi that would someday bring in almost $700 million in sales every year. Nearly 400 million M&Ms are now produced every day. While Forrest Mars was spearheading M&M's, Milton Hershey was exploring a different wartime opportunity. Hershey knew sugar rationing was coming during World War II, so he started asking government officials about how Hershey could help supply the war effort. The result? Over 500,000 chocolate bars per day were shipped out to American soldiers. It was one way to sort of make them remember home. It was a little bit of, of Americana that they were able to carry in their rucksack or in their packet and be able to eat. Zelati Meyer. 
Hershey even made a special version of the Hershey bar with oatmeal in it for more nourishment. And also it was more to give them energy. These were soldiers, they needed a lot of energy, they were carrying lots of gear, they were running, they were doing all sorts of manual labor. It wasn't necessarily to be the deliciousness we think of today, but it served its purpose. As American soldiers liberated towns in Europe, they were handing out Hershey bars to children along the streets. Eventually it's clear that Hershey bars are almost like a diplomatic tool. Um, they're given to children, they're given away to just the general, the civilian population. And people remember American soldiers as people who gave them a chocolate bar. It's not a stretch to say that some of these products not only gave the soldiers a little taste of home, but they also helped to win the war. Not long after the war ended, Milton Hershey died of pneumonia. He was 88. Forrest Mars continued to build his business after the war. He introduced peanut M&Ms in 1954. In 1991, M&Ms became the first candy to go into space. He built a global company before anybody understood that the globe was going to get smaller and smaller. Forrest Mars devoted himself entirely to this. In every way that Milton was generous, Forrest was very selfish. He wanted to build an empire. He did build an empire, and, um, but that empire remained private, and all of those billions of dollars that are still generated every year by the Mars Company go directly uh, back to the family. Today, the company that Forrest Mars grew, Mars Incorporated, is worth $35 billion, boasting candy brands like Milky Way, M&Ms, Skittles, Snickers, and Twix. Forrest Mars died in 1999 at the age of 95. At the time that he passed, Mars was the largest privately held company uh, in the United States. It is hard to overstate the legacy of food titans like Milton Hershey. Americans love chocolate. They really, really did. And it really became an iconic part of American food culture. The Hershey Kiss is a shape that everyone knows. And it really was something that only the very wealthy enjoyed. Um, Milton Hershey was able to sort of bring it down market. He made it an affordable luxury, something that everyone could afford. The Hershey Company sold over a billion pounds of chocolate in 2020 alone, with popular favorites like Hershey's Kisses, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Kit Kats, York Peppermint Patties, Almond Joy, and Mounds. Today, almost 15,000 people live in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and the Hershey Company has about 18,000 employees worldwide. Milton Hershey and what he did is, is the ultimate, I think, American success story. John Hine is the author of Fast Food Maniac. And he was one of the first who succeeded at creating a brand that you immediately identify with the product. When you thought about a chocolate bar, you instantly thought Hershey. And what did you think? You thought pure, it brought a smile to your face, and it tasted fantastic. On the next episode of The Food That Built America, the story of a struggling Kentucky gas station owner named Harlan Sanders and his iconic culinary creation, Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, this whole picture of the Colonel being this happy-go-lucky pleasant man, he never was. This was a hard scrapple guy.
On a stretch of highway in an area of rural Kentucky known as Hell's Half Acre, Harlan Sanders discovered a new way to satisfy his traveling clientele. So he starts to cook dinners for people and they eat in his home, which is attached to the gas station. Sanders' main dish, a special homemade fried chicken seasoned with 11 herbs and spices. He starts his own restaurant and eventually takes his Kentucky Fried Chicken nationwide. He opens his first franchise in Utah. Yes, Utah. That is where the franchising of Kentucky Fried Chicken started. And transforms the landscape of American fast food. At that period of time, you start to get the persona of this Kentucky Colonel. Becoming one of the most famous brand ambassadors ever in the process. Colonel Sanders is a, uh, is half reality, half myth. And of course, the myth was, was self-promoted. This episode of the Food That Built America podcast was written and produced by Sean Braswell, Cecily Meza-Martinez, and Maeve McGoran. Julia Linus Goodman also produced. Jesse Katz, Jim Pascarella, and Mary Donahue were executive producers. Sound design by Chris Hoff. Special thanks to McKamey Lynn and Tracy Moran. The Food That Built America was originally produced by Lucky 8 TV for the History Channel. Please make sure to subscribe to the Food That Built America on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. For more great history podcasts, check out History This Week from History or Flashback from Ozzy. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 